All right, Jim, James, Jimothy, Jim, Jim James. My uh, my my name on my uh, video game character is Jim Doug Myrtle. Jim Doug Myrtle. JDM. That's my that's my middle name, Doug. All right. Well, we're off to a great start. That's 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 something that's interesting. It's a, See you later, Jonas. Right, thanks for the podcast. <laughs> so obviously, James, we did uh, an emergency pod after all the craziness of Sunday. We wanted to kind of catch our breath, think things through a little bit more deeply. Obviously, we heard from Kyle Dubas on Monday, and now we want to kind of do a deeper dive. We're obviously going to go back and because this is a normal episode, we're going to do a pod. We're going bag. really deep. What? What's your middle name? That's Jonas? none of your business. I don't like it. Is it so? Oh, you don't. I don't like, use is it. it. Is it Jebediah? No, you could not guess it. But but I'm not even going to give you the chance to try. So uh, before I get into some of the things I've written down, has anything you said or thought on Sunday changed? Uh, now that you've heard Kyle Dubas speak, you've kind of seen the rest of the trade market trade deadline shakeout yeah well you know what i think that the the thing i would say that maybe hasn't i haven't seen talked about a lot is the asking price for rental players was incredibly high this year the highest i i've seen it in a long long time uh the leafs did not have a ton of cap space and what's interesting to me is it was. It, it's a pivot from last year, wouldn't you say? I mean, last year it really felt like we're all in. Here's all these picks we're going to give up. Let's bring in all these guys. This year felt like maybe more controlled and targeted and they gave up less. You could argue they had a better deadline this year than, than last year in terms of just making the team better. So you, they, they give up less than they did last year. They don't give up a first round pick. They don't give up any other top prospects. But I think that you can certainly say that the team got better. So that that's an interesting way of framing it, I think, for me. Yeah, I mean, because when you look back to, to last year, a lot of what they got, most of what they got, didn't end up really... It was around, around the edges, right? Yeah, and it didn't end up, obviously, playing much of a role. Obviously, the, the key acquisition was Nick Foligno. He got hurt um, and was in and out. Riley Nash, they thought, would be useful. And he was coming off an injury and didn't play he played the one or two games uh two games and then big save dave was just like an emergency option down the stretch no save no save dave um ben hutton was just kind of around just in case um and this time around it was like i like what i like about this um i like a a few things about it but one thing i like is like it's kind of like there's no sure thing especially a 38 year old but it's like you you really do know for the most part what you're getting with with Mark Giordano and Colin Blackwell when you compare him to some of the other similar types of, of players like he doesn't really cost much um, like just 725 yeah. grand on the cap like we can get into each acquisition and we will but that's kind of one thing that I think is different and the other thing that I think is like a major difference is Giordano and Blackwell are going to get 20 games. And you look back to last year, remember, wasn't it a 14-day quarantine for like the, the guys uh, coming over from America? I think it was. If it wasn't 14, it was I seven thought, days, whatever it was. Yeah, I think I think Felino had to do seven days, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So 
that's gone. Like he barely played before the playoffs. So. Right. Which I mean, could have contributed to injury. Yeah. I, I hadn't even thought of that. I, I was just thinking like just in terms of like being in the right state physically, mentally with the team for playoffs. They, they asked us in the immediate aftermath of the deadline to grade Every team's that story is at, at the athletic right now, and it's interesting. All our beat writers for every single team all around the league to grade out of 10 the team's work at the deadline. Now, I put I was I was torn between six and seven, I ended up going with six. Um, but like I said, I'm I think that that's I think seven might have been the right number, even I think though seven's I right, but yeah, like it. it, it and, and they they had they had a better deadline than last year, you know. And the the total haul of what they give up, you have to factor in that they got a third round pick back for Dermot, uh, who who really wasn't going to be in in the team's plans going forward. Um, you know, I was asked today on the radio why they didn't get Tyler Mott, who was someone they looked at and who ended up going for only a fourth round pick. And I wonder if they looked at it and. You know, Blackwell's making 500K less, less of an acquisition cost. James, how would they fit him? Like, even if they got him half price, I guess at half price they could have fit him, but it would have cost you an asset to trade for him, right? Yeah. So I'm just like, if they didn't get Blackwell in the Seattle trade, they, I mean, they went for Mott instead. Maybe they're like, there's some more cap space. And, but, you know, yeah, they would have had to, Vancouver would have had to retain. And um, they are very, very tight against the cap. So, you know, with $4 million to get Giordano on Blackwell, I mean, it's it's solid. And I think you have to include the dumping the Richie contract and getting Labushkin, who's played really well, sure. as, part, as part of their deadline machinations. So, you know, I, I think like a 7 out of 10 makes sense. Well, so let's, let's, so what could they have done that would have, did anybody give their team a 10 or like a 9 or an 8 or... Oh, you didn't read the story. No, yet. I did not yet. It's on it's a little, the little save it's, tab. It's a, here, here. I'll uh, Florida got a nine. Anaheim, wow, got a nine. I guess Florida got a nine because they did stuff. Well, Claude Giroux. I mean, that's a that's a pretty good addition for sure. It is. They they did pay a lot for what they they got. I didn't grade all these teams. So I know. Uh, Anaheim for, you know, kind of their sell-off and adding picks. and I thought they did pretty good. Tear down. They got a nine. They uh, got a lot for Raquel, a lot more than I thought. Yeah, and their, uh, their Pittsburgh writer also liked the fact that they got Raquel, so he had a nine for Pittsburgh and adding. Yeah. Um, Calgary got an eight. I liked what Calgary did with Toffoli and Yarncroc. You don't uh, need to go through all 32 teams. Uh, Mon- 31. Montreal got an eight. Uh, Minnesota got an eight. Colorado got an eight. The Rangers got an eight. Tampa Bay. So, so can I interrupt you? <laughs> no. Actually, I'm just going to. I'm not done yet. Um, what I think is interesting sometimes about the trade deadline and the way it's like, obviously, I, I get it. You do winners and losers. A lot of the times the teams that that do stuff, just a lot of stuff are, are generally thought of as winners. And and I get it. Um I just don't know that it's always the case that just because you do a lot of stuff, it actually, it, like, it's all just going to work. And like, you're, you're, anyway, I don't know how to explain it's, yeah, that. No, no, but it's, I, it's funny you say that because I was talking to an executive from around the league and they were like, 
about the the Leafs deadline and and they said they had some sort of sarcastic comment like about oh well they won the deadline last year right or something you know because they did a whole bunch of different things and they got they got praised for doing that and being innovative and and it didn't work you know and in hindsight you know that's a deadline that is going to be looked at as a huge failure for a long time so you I think what you're saying is that in the moment sometimes these teams that are creative then do a lot and give up a lot of picks and and really go for it it, it, it looks really impressive, but what really matters is how does it function as a as a, a part of your lineup. Yeah, I guess it, it wouldn't really work for the athletic if like in May we did trade deadline winners and losers. Well, you could we do actually, like a look back. I think people would read that, but Sure. But anyway, let's let's go back to the Leafs because I, I think the reason you give it a seven is because I mean their their goaltending still remains a really big question. And yet, like I just I mean, I felt like after that game, I left that game in Hamilton, the outdoor game, thinking like, Jesus, they have to do something. Like, they can't depend on Mrazek and like Campbell's hurt and he's like a big wild card. And then like the more you spend time thinking it through and and it's like, I guess I actually even thought this before. It's like, what do you do that actually does anything or are you just doing something to do something? And the one guy obviously is Marc-Andre Fleury. And so I asked you when we were just texting about the deadline, would you have done the Minnesota trade um, for Marc-Andre Fleury, which was a conditional second round pick that becomes a first based on some of these playoff stipulations. And basically, we both came around to the idea, well, if they do that, they have no space to get a defenseman, basically. Yeah, so, or, it's, so it's, do you or want... they just punt on Muzzin for the regular season. Do you want Fleury or do you want Giordano? I don't and think I don't think punting on Nozin is an an option really. It's not. It never made sense. I understand why people wanted them to do that because it opened up that space, but you're basically especially with Sandino, I mean are you prepared to give up on Muzzin as a player for the rest of the season or I mean it would be really hard to bring him back. Maybe you're going to play him 10 minutes a game or something. I mean look at all the injuries he's had the last few years too. Like it just it doesn't make any doesn't make any sense. And and Dubas kind of said too, it's not fair to the player if they they do that to him. It's setting him up for failure. He'd be like he's almost ready to come back now. He'd basically be sitting healthy for six weeks and then just starting for the playoffs. But I think that the better way to frame it, James, is would you rather have Flurry and the defense that they had basically, more or less, or would you rather have Giordano and Campbell and an improved defense? To me, I'd rather. I think I'd rather bet on Campbell plus a better defense because I looked at their defense, James, and like it was just like they're they're, they're having to play too many guys above what I think is their ideal slotting, or they were. I guess it would be there is a world where you could have Flurry and Giordano if Morazic wow. goes to Chicago. Oh. Well, but we 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 obviously know that what the price would be, and like it was, it was a high price. It was and it was crazy. It was yeah, but I think that that's probably right about right. Like I can see why that's what Chicago wanted. Like you know, if if they're going to trade, I mean, this is a this is a podcast that we can do in the future. But at some point, they're, they're going to have to get rid of Mrazek in that contract, and it's not going to be easy to do. But I mean, it was basically I think it was multiple first round picks. Yeah. Plus Nyes. Was Abrazizi in the deal? I can't remember. No, no. That's what it was. At least what had been leaked out to the chagrin of Kyle Dubas was 
was two first round picks and Nyes for Flurry and Hagel. Is that right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's a that's a blockbuster. That's a whopper. But but so I, I think to bring it back, um, I, I thought was what was interesting is is Kyle Dubas basically said as much. Like forget about that the the frustration with that becoming public. It was more that he he said, and I I'm glad he did. Like they looked around and just decided the prices didn't make sense. So anybody who comes away from that um, press conference thinking, oh, he he believes in his goalies, like it's a a vote of confidence. No, it was not that. It was it was like they looked as hard as they could for other options and just didn't find anything that made sense. And now kind of have to just hope that the guys that they have and the guy that they have, Jack Campbell, gets back on track. Basically, well, I mean, vote of confidence. Like, did you look at the quote? It's the opposite. Look at the quote from Sheldon Keefe today about Morazek. I thought it was. Yeah, he says it's a bit of a shock to an established player that goes on waivers, and then when you clear, it should be even more of a shock that you haven't been nearly good enough. It's like, wow, that is. Yeah, it's like basically no one wanted to claim you. Yeah, your contract's so bad, no one in the league wants you for free. But it did for the coach to like say it in that stark of terms. I mean, it's anyway. We all know that's the case that. He hasn't been good enough, but they're kind of almost trying to like challenge him. And and they've talked about Dubas talked about Morazic being this this such a confident person, and they're sort of throwing down the challenge to him. Like, okay, you're confident in your abilities. Let's see you do it. We're recording this on Tuesday, so I am just fresh from practice. He did not look like a confident guy when he spoke after practice. Now, how could you be? Like that is that's. That's really rough. Like I think, I think he, the fact that he was placed on waivers is a really big deal. Like it's, it's not, it's not good. Like for whatever the reasons were to do it, like that they're in a position where that that's something that that's even being considered. And, and you and I have talked about this. Like when Jake Muzzin is ready to come back, he's gone. Like he's in. He's going to be in the AHL. Yes, which is interesting. I. Uh, you know what? I give the Leafs credit for doing it because I think some front offices probably like it, it's it really shines a big spotlight on your mistake and it could potentially, you know, there's no hiding the fact about how, how bad that contract is now and they're going to have to move it at some point. And, but it gives them, it gives them the cap space to bring in more pieces. It gives them flexibility, flexibility. Yes. It also puts the crease basically into the hands of Campbell when it, when he comes back, and either Shalgren or Hutchinson or Walls hurt right now. But what about Harry Sateri? <laughs> we hardly knew he. I but so, it. do you think that's okay? Like, because I think that's that's kind of the, the real question. Do you think it's okay to look around and say, "Listen, like this stuff, we could do something, but are we doing something just to do something?" Does that make sense? Or or does it make sense just to say, you know what? We've seen Jack Campbell be better than all those guys. Let's just kind of hope that he gets back. I guess the thing, Jonas, about this season and this team and where they're at and everything, the, the thing we need to keep in mind is that they're trying to win the Stanley Cup. So can they do it with Jack Campbell as their goaltender? They're making the bet that yes, they can. And how do you feel about that? 
I mean, it's this is like the question of their season, right? You know, there were already yeah. other questions about their season. You know, what, can the, can the big guys deliver in the pl- first round of the playoffs? Can they get past Tampa or Florida, two of the best teams in the league? There were, you know, there were these uncertainties around them, and the goaltending has become a much bigger one over the last three months. Well, so I, I think back to something you said um, when we recorded a podcast after that first Shalgren shutout, and you you said something more along the lines of, you know, goaltending is like voodoo, and like you just never know. And I think I was just thinking back as you were talking to some of the recent Stanley Cup winners and and basically what's happened in goal, and you think like a lot of times the goalie who ends up winning with his team has had something like Brady yeah. Holpe was lost his job yep. and lost his job and like didn't have his job in the playoffs, gets it back and, and wins a cup. Marc-Andre Fleury and, and Matt Murray trade places. Like it ha- I guess Jordan Biddington comes out of nowhere that second half and, and they win a cup. Like I, I don't think it's some of those examples though, are even more reinforcing the idea that you need two guys that you have some level of confidence that they can get hot and go on a run. And part of the trouble I think with where the Leafs are at is they don't have two guys. They don't, they don't even, they have, they don't have one guy right now. Well, they have like one guy who might be able to get hot and do it. (laughs) Sure. That's what they've got. Well, but, but they can get back. Like when the playoffs start, the cap disappears. Like, I would think at that point Mrazek's the backup again, no? I mean, we'll see what happens here. I mean, it, that, I guess that's, yeah, there's so much to be determined. That's right? one of the arguments to play him against New Jersey and on Wednesday tomorrow. Yeah, but uh, they've given him a lot of chances, though. You know, like sort of. I mean, like they gave Jack Campbell a lot of chances too. Like that's I don't know. He signed for three years. Like you don't like you kind of. What do you do? Of course, like you have to give them chances. I wonder in hindsight if what they should have done at the backup position is just got someone who was quite a bit cheaper with less term. And if yes. it wasn't working out at midseason, go acquire a goalie. Yeah, you know? that's what we said at the time. Like I remember Why don't you doing just go a podcast. Get, get Auntie Ran- thought, Ranta for $2 million. I thought Halak for like I, right. for one year and just like and like See and what exactly Campbell what does. you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And if like if you have a problem, then like then you try and address it, but committing to to Mrazek was the mistake. And like, as much as we can look at the deadline and say, "Well, they they should have fixed it," the time to fix it was in the summer. And like, did we have Halak ahead of Mrazek on our list of goalie options? I can't. I think we probably did. Uh, we did. We definitely did. I think he was like sixth, slightly ahead. Yeah, and it was just because he was going to be cheaper. It, there, it was going to be one year. You could see what Campbell did and. The thing I like about that is, and I mean, this is all hindsight, and I don't know if this is what people want to listen to right now or, or not, but we're, we're down this road anyway. But, you know, you go in, maybe you go in with like two more million in cap space, and you just have some flexibility. And yep, you set yourself up for at the deadline. If there's a crisis, which I think that I don't think I'm being too sensationalist by saying there's a crisis with, with the goaltending right now. You, you have more options to do something about it. Like you would have more cap space to to fit Mark Andre Fleury in or, or whatever. Yes, exactly. We had uh, Halak number six. I mean, and Halak has not had a good year. He's not had. No, a, he has not played. But he also plays for a shitty team, so there's that. And he's not Demko, so like obviously his numbers. Anyway, let's 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 go back to to some of the things that they did specifically with Giordano and uh, Blackwell. 
Um, now that you've had a little bit more time to digest it, how do you feel about Giordano and where he fits with their defense? I feel pretty good about it, especially with the knowledge that Sandine's out, which I don't believe when we recorded the last podcast we were certain of. So, no, you know, not having Sandine, that means the left side is a little bit more open that they, they need. And in an ideal world with the way Muzzin's played this year, you can't really count on him to be in the top four. So adding a, a top four left shot D. I mean, no, I, I mean, I guess they could have added a right shot and moved Brody over to the left side where he's played quite a bit of late. Uh, the only thing is, is that there weren't a lot of options on the right side. And usually you pay a premium to get a right shot defenseman given how few there are. So the fact that they could fill their need with a left shot, you know, it does give me pause that Giordano is so, so old. Um, but his results this year are pretty good, you know, and, and I've gone back and I've been watching some of the, some clips of him and like, he's, you know, the, the skating's not what it used to be, but he's still really smart and he's still good defensively. You know, I, th- I, I like it. I like the fit. Yeah. I, I just think like when you're looking ahead to the playoffs and you think of like some of the guys that they've had to use in, in prominent positions before, and it's like, imagine your key for, or Dean Chanoth or before that Dave Haxtell and instead of having to rely on Dermot or Sandine, now it's like, now you can just throw Giordano out there. Like, there just has to be a comfort with that, that I think means something and is is useful just because you know, like, he, he's been through everything. He, you know what I mean? Like, I was just watching him at practice and it's just like, there's just a presence about him. Like, he's been in the league a long time. Like, he just played his 1,000th game. I don't know. I just, I just think there's a different dynamic, a different comfort that you get um, from someone like him. And you think back to game seven last year, like they have to use Dermot in the Muzzin role in game seven. And like, I mean, you saw what happened in the playoffs, right? I certainly did. I was sitting there beside you in the press box. Yeah. So, so that like, I and, and you know what? An underrated thing I think about him um, in terms of how he helps the least, like he can basically play anywhere. Like he's going to be on their second power play unit. Obviously, yeah, with, I with don't Sandino. know about him as a power play. I mean, his offense but isn't the same as it's as it was in the past. Yeah, it's like he's not the guy who's, who had that monster year, but he'll kill penalties. He'll probably get top lines. I, I think they could use him on a lot of different pairs. Like you could play him with Brody. You could play him with Hall. You could play, you know, like right now they're going to play him with Lilligren just because they need to move some things around. Just to play devil's advocate, who else would they yeah. put on the power play if not Giordano with, with Muzzin and Sandine out? Brody. Right. Yeah. And and maybe Muzzin when he comes back. Like th- Those options are all more or less the same, I think. It's the second power play. Like it's not the biggest thing, but it's it's something. Like, he'll fill a lot of different roles. And, like, so who would you play him with when everybody's back? I would want to see him with, with Brody. I, you know, I, I think that if you can... Chemistry is a big thing for D-pairs, and there might be something special there. Like, there might be more than the sum of their parts when they're playing together. So, my counter to that is, and I'm, I'm fine with that, is I would kind of like to see what he looks like with Hall. Because mm-hmm. I know he fits with Brody. I know that already. And if I'm Sheldon Keefe, I know that Brody fits with Riley. So, like, as much as you talk about chemistry, I would rather ha- give Brody to Riley and kind of see if I could use Giordano and Hall 
as kind of the number one shutdown pair. Mm-hmm. I I guess the, the question is then your third pair, conceivably when everybody comes back, is is Muslim Labushkin. I don't I don't know about that as much. So you could go Riley Labushkin, uh, Giordano Brody, and then Muzzin Hall get that pair yeah, back that's, together. That's kind of the where I lean. I, I I don't really see. I just don't. You, you know what? I will just add, James. I don't love the idea of having Labushkin with Riley and the yeah. Matthews line for all those shifts. Like I just don't think that that's optimal. It, yeah, and just and playing him that much. Any like they're not playing him that much anyway. But I would rather just have my best four defenders playing on the top two pairs. It's interesting, you know, some teams now, like you see it with Tampa, like they'll have, you know, Jan, Jan Ruda or someone on who's on the quote unquote, f- who's on the quote unquote first pair with Hedman, but they only, he'll only play like 14 or 15 minutes, you know, be- because situationally they won't play on special teams or, or the coach is going to mi- mix in other partners at key opportunities you know, so even if Riley's with Labushkin, maybe maybe he's only with Labushkin in certain situations. You know, when you're protecting a lead or when you're in the defensive zone or whatever. Yeah, I I, I think that makes sense. I think, and and Sheldon Keith alluded to this that we'll see them experiment. So I would imagine we'll see Brody or Giordano in different spots, especially when Muzzin comes back, which could be next week. I think I think it's worth saying that the Giordano Brody was a really special pairing for a long. Like you can argue yes. that was a top five D pair in the league for, you know, five or six years. Like they played really, really well together. You Wasn't know, it kind of like the analytics king pairing yeah. for a while? They were very, very good. And they would play a lot of minutes. Like there were, I I believe there were some playoff series where they were playing 27, 28 minutes, you know, like just, just workhorse. And they're both older. They're not that anymore. But we've seen what, what Brody is in Toronto the last two years. And it's... It's pretty impressive. He's he's played really well. I would say he's outperformed what anyone could have expected when he signed that contract. And we'll get a closer look here at, at how much Giordano has left. But if you know they can get anything close to what they did those years in in Calgary, it'll that, that's a pretty good second pairing. Yeah. Well, and you know what, James? He he kind of has shut down that idea that all those years it was just it was just yeah. Giordano. And it's like the, the one thing I I do wonder is I don't know how you. I, I shouldn't speak for other people, but I don't know how you would have watched that all those years and thought that. Like, I wasn't watching Brody night to night, but like, just watching him in Toronto, it's hard to watch him and think, ah, it, he's just—it's just the other guy who's doing everything. And yeah, he's not it doesn't important. pass. It doesn't pass the smell test. I mean, Brody's been Brody's been really, really good. He's he's the kind of player I I like. You know, he does a lot of subtle things well and doesn't make a lot of big mistakes. It's very, very rare. Like if you look at the the report cards that we have on our site after every game or even just social media, it's it's extremely rare that anyone's like Brody wasn't good tonight or how did Brody make that play? That's hard to do when you're a defense. And he, it's not like he produces tons of offense. So he's just, no. he's and he plays a lot of minutes. Yeah, oh. and he can obviously move side to side and he just seems to be like pretty low maintenance. Like he, I would bet he's the guy... Sheldon Keefe like never has to think about or talk to. I mean, I'm just thinking like I, I watch Keefe after practice. He he talks to different players literally after every practice. I don't think I've seen him ever talk to Brody. Yeah, and that's what honestly. some of his other coaches had said. You know, we did a big feature on Brody right after they had acquired him, and it was interesting talking mm-hmm. to his former coaches and talking to some of Brody's friends. And they just said this is like the most 
low maintenance guy you'll ever meet in your life. He's just very quiet, works his ass off, and imagine where they'd be with they didn't have him right with with Muzzin regressing and getting hurt, and like he's been so important to this team this year. Yep. Um, let's take a break, and then I want to talk about Blackwall. Talk about the prospects, the potential for those guys coming into the fold at some point. Uh, and then we will get into the pod bag. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, James, your Colin Blackwell assessment is what? So I've I've also spent some time watching him a little bit more. Uh, He has stood out to me in the games that I had seen this year, even before they acquired him. I remember when they were playing Seattle, I was like, huh, and looking him up. And I thought he was younger than he is. I thought he was a guy that was newer in the league and hadn't established himself. He's 28 years old. And part of his, it, our, our colleague Josh Cloak had a, has a really good uh, feature on Blackwell on the site that I encourage people to read. It's, it, uh, it's doing really well. People have really enjoyed it. And, you know, he had, he played college. He had some really bad uh, concussion issues when he was in college in, in Harvard with, with Alex Kerfoot. Uh, and that kind of slowed his progression. And he's a guy that's really battled to get where he is. And at f- five foot nine, uh, you know, a lot of players that size have to go the long road, have to go either through college or, or long, spend long stretches in the minors. And I, 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 it was one of his former teammates that said he's a, called him a self-made man. And I thought that was a good description because, you know, he just has really battled for everything he's gotten in the NHL and he's established himself as an NHL player. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if he's just going to be kind of a fourth line energy guy or if there might be something more there. Yeah, well, and that's kind of what uh, both Sheldon Keefe and Kyle Dubas have been alluding to since the trade is that they think offensively he can he can do some stuff. You know, he Keefe can brought shoot. up the fact that he can shoot the puck he, really well. Well, and James, what were they working on after practice today? Um, Blackwell, Manny Malhotra and Spencer Carberry. They were working on shooting with Blackwell, and and like listen, they dropped him right into the power play bumper spot. I think too, he brings kind of like a, a feistiness that uh, you know that, that Bunting has brought that Labushkin has a bit of. Like it's another kind of playoff guy, even though like I say, he's five nine, but he's he's not a small five nine. He's one ninety. Yeah, I saw one li- one site had him listed at 200. So I think at some point he trimmed down to 190. That's that's thick. Well, and, and James, I was thinking like um, when I was looking at potential guys that they could bring in for their top six, and we can talk about that in a, a second. One of the guys you and I both talked about and that you said the Leafs were interested in was Callie Yarncroft. And I kind of thought, well, Yarncroft's like interesting. Like they could play him basically on every line or at least on lines two through four. And it kind of feels a little bit like Blackwell might be able to do the same sort of thing. Maybe I believe obviously he doesn't have a, he's not as good and he doesn't have the same experience, but correct. You could, you, yeah. Correct ahead. me if I'm wrong. He played with Panarin when he was in New York a little bit, right? Like I, I, I don't know that. Yes. I don't know that he was 
all, always frequently on a line. But and he's he also played with uh, Yanni Gord in in Seattle, and so he's been used as a bit of a facilitator, an energy guy that you play along skilled players. So I wouldn't mind seeing some of that. And I thought it was interesting you said at practice that they had him on the power play. Yeah, right away because of, because of that the shot they would probably want that shot from the middle maybe. Like the yep. way, the and way they've got, and they've moved uh, bunting to the front of the net, which mm-hmm. obviously makes a lot of sense too. Mm-hmm. Like, um, like how they've used Kasha sometimes when they put him on PP one and he scores that goal from the middle mid ice. Yep, same sort of thing. I'm looking the last two years actually. His most frequent line mates uh, in New York, uh, it was Ryan Strom, uh, Yanni Gord. Uh, and it doesn't look like yeah, and about two hundred minutes with Panarin. It's not, not it's not nothing. I mean, you know, it's the best not offensive nothing. player on a on a decent team, and you know, it's um and just watching some of the highlights. So he's a guy that just goes hard all the time in, into the corners, and he had he's had some big hits, and I, I think he'll be the other thing too. With we should mention this. This I haven't seen anyone else bring this up, but I think with both of these guys, Giordano and Blackwell, I think there's a chance they re-sign them. I was thinking about that with Giordano. I hadn't thought about it with uh, Blackwell. Well, I mean, like you, he's probably not going to want see. a big contract. I mean, it, it could be a guy that just gets you know one or two years at a million bucks if if he plays well. Less, but yeah. Well, he's UFA, so you know he could just say, "I'm going on the open market, and I'm going to get." His last deal, James, was two years for seven twenty five a pop. I don't know that he's but, jumping, but he was not UFA. And he had not had the, actually. The last he two was se- UFA. He had not had the last two seasons that he's had. That's true, but he was UFA. But anyway, um, what was I going to ask you? Oh, yeah, about the top six forward. Obviously, like they, they weren't going to be able to do everything, um, but that hole still remains. Um, you had meant you had brought up on the podcast that like they had some interest in Andrew Cop, who you know I'm a fan of. I guess I've just come around to the fact that they they just kind of, they can't do everything and they kind of have to just hope that two of their five best players, wherever you want to rank them, are better than they've been. And obviously, Nealander was excellent in last year's playoffs and, I mean, Tavares didn't get that chance, but like, is that kind of just what you have to hope if you're that front office? I guess technically they could have tried to do one of those three team deals that they had last year with Foligno and... Maybe they could have moved Giordano through Arizona or something and have Arizona retain 25% and then get his cap hit down. And then it's, it's, it's possible, I guess, that they could have tried to add another piece. But then, you you know, there's more draft picks that are going to have to be included to get the retention. And I kind of think next year they, they should probably go into the year with a little bit more cap space than, than the absolute minimum. Yep. I would agree. Okay. Um, prospects. I thought when you brought up um, Blackwell and just the kind of the personality that he plays with, one thing that they've really lacked is like their fourth line doesn't really have that. Like, what would you say their fourth line does like <laughs> night to night? Like what is, like what off, is their identity? Office space. What is it? What would you say you do? Here? <laughs> <laughs> Basically like as uh, I'm not trying to be like, you're, so you're going to move Wayne Simmons' office into the basement and take his stapler, take his stapler away? They haven't been good. Uh, and look at the ice time, too. Like, Sheldon Keefe has not 
felt confident going to that line very frequently. And I don't think at this point in his career, Spezza probably should play a lot at center. And it's interesting, you know, if, if Kasha can come back and be healthy and we don't know yet if that's going to be the case, the early prognosis from what I saw was was good, but we don't know. It doesn't sound like he's going to play on Wednesday. But if he can come back, all of a sudden the fourth line could be get Blackwell playing with his his college buddy Kerfoot and put Spezza. Yeah. And it's like, that's interesting. You know, that's that, right. that, that line could be could, fast and yeah. like kind of something. Yeah. Yep. That could generate some offense and you get them out there for 10 minutes a game and could look pretty good. Well, I'm intrigued by the possibility, and we'll see what these guys decide to do, of bringing in one of those Nyes or Abruzzese at some point. That's like not a nothing jump. Um, college to the NHL and like college to the NHL to the Leafs competing for a cup. Yeah, Jonas, I don't, not to interrupt you again, but like where do they get the cap space to bring one of those guys onto the NHL roster? I guess it would just have to be in the playoffs then, right? Or like if there's an injury. I mean, they could be with, they could go to the Marlies, right? Yeah, they can go to the Marlies and be like an emergency call up if there's, if someone's hurt or something. Yeah. It's just kind of a state of where their their fourth line is at. I mean, you look just with Kasha not playing, suddenly again, like you have Spets and Simmons both on the fourth line playing. Yeah. Which I, I just don't think is feasible, but like, they, I mean, they may not have any other options. Like, if everyone's healthy, I would think Simmons is the extra guy, but... So, we, we should... I should say that I believe they're so tight to the cap that they will have to carry only six defensemen. And yeah. th- and thirteen forwards, so they could yeah. if they don't have more players going. And this is con- concerning if Kasha's back. If Kasha's not back, they've got the LTI room. They've got some space. They can move some pieces around. They could bring Robertson back in and things like that. But if Kasha's healthy, it gets real tight real fast, and they're not going to have a lot of options. I saw him walking around the rink this morning, um, but obviously that doesn't mean anything until he goes through a practice and like exertion and and everything like that, and they can evaluate him. Who knows? And and you hope he's okay. So the division I think is is interesting because you mentioned Florida before and what they did, and obviously Boston added Lynn Holm and Josh Brown and Tampa got Hagel and Nick Paul and your favorite fourth line center Riley Nash. Cam Loops represent. What do you think of of the division now and what they've done? Like, have they done enough basically to compete with the teams around them? I wonder if last year they got caught up in that a bit too much, and that's why they did so many things that didn't end up really helping them, and maybe overthought it. And this year it was, you know, let's be a bit more strategic, you know, and not get caught up. I mean, the asking prices were really high. Other teams were paying big time premiums for like Ben Sherratt and Hegel. And I think the, the Leafs are, are betting on the team they built coming into this season. They're betting on Matthews. They're betting on Marner. They're betting on Riley. They're betting on Nylander and, and, and Jack Campbell and TJ Brody. And this is a team that they've assembled and they're trying to complement it and supplement it a little bit by adding a couple useful NHL players. But really the bet is that they're going to go into a really tough series against Florida or Tampa and be able to win because of the strength of the team that they built over the last couple of years. And I don't think that that's a crazy bet. Like they're, they've got really good players. And I think that's one of been one of the interesting things when you 
hear how they're talked about and how they're perceived a little bit. You look at the division right now and they're in third and like Boston's right there on their ass. But if they had average goaltending for the last two months, they'd probably be leading the division, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would be a different conversation around this team right now. It would be totally different. And it's got to be frustrating for the management group that it's goaltending that does the team in because they must feel like they did everything right except Mrazek, really. Yeah, well, and Richie, but yeah. But the Richie, they undid that like pretty, they undid that problem pretty. Pretty niftily. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think that's a word, but yes. I'm making it a word. But it's like you look at the division as we record this, uh, Florida's first. They've played, actually, they played the same number of games as the Leaf. They they have 90 points. Tampa's played one less. They have 84. The Leafs have 83. Um, and Boston has played one more game, and they also have 83. Mm-hmm. So if they had average goaltending, they, they'd probably be right there with Florida. Now, you could probably say that, say different things about a lot of teams, but their goaltending has, like, literally been the worst in the league for a while, so... I don't think that's crazy. And it, it's not like if you're any of these teams, I think a lot of times we look at it from the uh, this perspective. Oh, the Leafs have to play Florida or the Leafs have to play Tampa. Do you think Tampa is like really excited about playing the Leafs in the first round I, I and playing Matthews? Probably not. Well, it's certainly a harder matchup than you would hope for given the season that they've had. What a stupid format. But anyway. I don't like the division heavy. It should, they got to go back to the conference alignment, but Having said that, I mean, who would the Leafs be playing? I mean, they'd be, I'm looking at that right they'd be now. Playing they a would good be team, playing Rangers or New Washington or it would know. be the Rangers as we stand right now. Right. And so I, these would be the matchups, James. If if it was conference, you'd have Florida playing Washington, you'd have Boston playing Carolina, you'd have New York playing the Leafs, and you'd have Pittsburgh playing Tampa. Hmm. So it's not That's like the, li- the Lightning aren't getting like, you know, in, in, no, any, they're in not any format. Meat. Yeah, in any format, they're getting a pretty good team. And it's the same with the Leafs, too, because there's six or seven good teams in the East. Here's the West, James. Colorado, Vegas. Calgary, Edmonton. How about that? Minnesota, LA. Nashville, St. Louis. Did you see that comment from Daryl Sutter talking about the wildcard team playing Colorado and how it would be, a, it'd be a waste of eight days? <laughs> That was funny. I think that's smart, like building up Colorado. Although, I mean, they deserve it. But then again, like, do you think Colorado is really going to be excited to play Vegas in the first round if that's what they have to do? I know Vegas has had their problems, but like, it's not like that's like a fun matchup in the first round. If they got Laurent Brassois as the goalie, they might be excited about it. Laurent Brassois. All right, let's take a break and then let's get to the pod bag. All right, James, it is pod bag time. I just enjoyed a delicious croissant from Mabel's. They have lots of locations throughout Toronto. Are you a croissant person? Like, do you like a good croissant? Yeah, my kids are all about them. We always have tons of them around the house. So I find find half of a croissant lying (laughs) under the couch all the time. So they have like chocolate ones and almond ones. And yeah. In the window when you come in, they just have like this whole crate of like freshly baked bit plain ones because that seems to be the the one that people can't get enough of. I got to say, Jonas, I'm more of a muffin man than a... Are you? Oh, yeah. What's your go-to muffin? Oh, I, I, I'm not picky, but I had a blueberry before the show. Interesting. Where do you get your muffins? <laughs> Normally just like the grocery store. 
buy them in like oh, okay. big cases of six. Yeah. Do you believe in that? Did you, did you ever see the Seinfeld about the muffins and the tops <laughs> and the bottoms? I, I like the tops. Why, is it the tops they shit on or the, the bottoms? No, no, no. The, the bottom, the stumps were what they were throwing away. The, the, uh, the, the restaurant was called Top of the Muffin to you because all they good. gave you was the top. And then they were trying to give the bottoms away to like oh yeah, food shelters and stuff like that. And they were like, why why are you giving us the stumps? Where's the top of the muffin? Yeah, where's the top of my muffin? That's I'm, pretty good. I'm a big muffin fan. Remember that? Do you remember that store, Muffins? Oh, they were so good. Actually, no, I'm not a big muffin guy. It was a Canadian store and it was called Muffins and they were huge and they were so good. Oh, they have those in the mall like a lot, right? I th- I think there's only, I think it's mostly gone. I think the chain has mostly disappeared from the earth. There's, I think there's oh. one or two left or something like that. But it used to be everywhere. I like everywhere. a good carrot muffin, James. So downstairs, I've got six, a uh, 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 set of six blueberry and six carrot awaiting. Oh, nice I think carrot's the best one. But yeah, go ahead. My kids are into the chocolate chip ones. Yeah, well. (laughs) (laughs) How much longer can we go on muffins and croissants? (laughs) You're lucky I'm letting it go this long. The producer's like, oh, God. The producer, you know, producer Punch, he's probably thinking, at least they're not talking about Harry and the Hendersons again. Yeah, me too. I'm thinking the same thing. All right. Okay, let's answer. We We have 50 questions. Do you think we can get through all of them? I do not. <laughs> uh, Mike would like to know, should the Maple Leafs place a completely made up player on waivers and see if he gets claimed? That's pretty funny, actually. Tristan responds, Taro Tsujimoto. So who are some of the guys that have gotten claimed? Adam Brooks, many times. Can you name all 11? Well, does he count as multiple? He must, right? I think so, yeah. Okay. V- I think I could. VC. Brooks. Brooks, VC, Boyd, Amadio. I wonder how many Brooks counts for. A lot, right? Aaron Dell. Dell, yeah. Uh, Sateri, your guy. Uh, Who else? Did Nick Patang get claimed on waivers? That wasn't last year. That would have been two years ago. Or did they trade him to Vancouver? I think that... Maybe they... But that was the time frame that Dubas was talking about, though. He said since... 2018, yeah, 2018 or whatever it was 11 so we're we're up to nine i mean Barabanov was traded right yes Did yeah do you remember Lettinen get claimed do you remember or he, who was he, he, he was remember, traded do you remember who he was traded for wasn't he traded for stefan mason i thought he was traded for was he traded for mason oh, not no, sumella oh yeah you're right it was sumella oh you win yeah nason was part of the cap retention i think on on felino I'm just looking through some other guys. Anyway, we don't need to go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> Nick Shore was Nick Shore claimed on waivers? Yeah, I, can't I believe remember. I believe he was. Yeah. <laughs> what about Timoshov? Was he claimed on waivers? No, he was traded. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> we can keep going. We're down a rabbit hole already. Yeah, and at the bottom of the rabbit hole, there's a muffin. Rabbits. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there's a muffin and Harry Sateri. Harry Sateri. <laughs> Leaf legend. Uh, someone responded to that. Should the Leafs play to made, place a made-up player on waivers with Taro Tsujimoto, which is an amazing reference, which if you don't know that reference, go Google it because you'll love it. Okay. You know that reference, right, Jonas? No. You don't know who Taro Tsujimoto is? Tell me. It was a player that the Buffalo 
Sabres GM at the end of a draft that went on for like 15 rounds or whatever, he was like frustrated and tired with the draft. He just made up a player and he played for the, he played for the Tokyo uh, Katanas or something like that. It was just like a completely made up Japanese hockey player that didn't exist that he drafted. Wow. Yeah. Back in the day when they did, (laughs) you could just say a name and then that was who you drafted, even if it didn't, wasn't someone who existed. And so Taro Tsuji Moto has become like a legend in hockey nerd circles. Hmm. We are we are like we found a rabbit hole in the rabbit hole. Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay, we have made it so far through one of the fifty questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Adrian says the question on everyone's mind: Why was there a waiver requirement for a goalie like the Finnish gold medal winner who went to Phoenix? only for the team that scoops them, but not for any of the other 31. That makes zero sense as far as it's been reported. Uh, The rule is there. This is another obscure rule. It came in because the 1980s Oilers were bringing up Reju Rutsalainen. He would play in the Swiss League all year, and they would just bring him in for the playoffs over and over again. So finally, the league put in a rule that these guys got, if you wait, you can you can sign European players up to a certain point in the season, but if it's after a certain point, they have to go through waivers, I believe is the rule. That doesn't seem that crazy. But then again, like if you're Harry Sateri, if you <laughs> sign somewhere, you kind of should get to play where you sign. Harry Sateri is just a great name. Someone oh. should get that jersey. That feels like a good jersey to get. Yeah, it's going to be up there with the David Ayers jerseys that are around in Carolina. Yeah, that's not the, that. I just like the the rhyming of it. Like the Finns have yeah, such great me names. Too. All right. Steven wants to know, how was 50% retained Flurry and Hegel not worth two first nyes and offloading Mrazic? I wonder how hard they thought about that trade. So it would be your first this year, your first next year, and you're arguably your number one prospect. So what would I rather have? You need to keep in mind, Flurry's just a rental. Like, he's not going to be sticking around. You're going to get, you know. And Hagel's like a middle 6C forward, which they have yep. a lot of. Yeah. I think he's like a small-ish average. That's that's too much. That's your your two first round picks and your best prospect that for a half year of flurry who I don't know, might be better than Campbell might not be. And a forward who would help you for sure. But on the fringes, like as supporting cast member, I, I wouldn't do that. Would you? I think that one of the things that fans should take away from this trade deadline is the, the, the future they were thinking about the future. They were thinking about the draft picks, even though there's people saying that people should get fired if they lose in the first round and whatever they still, you know, in other situations we've seen GMs mortgage the future to, to save their skin. And that's, that didn't happen here. Look at like the contract Boston gave Lindholm. Like that's, I don't know. That is quite a contract. Yeah, that's going to be a contract that they're going to regret and potentially within like, (laughs) I mean, potentially in like three or four years. That's one of the interesting things I think actually about the way the Toronto front office is judged. Like their bad contract is like Peter Mrazek three by 3.8, which is not good. And like, it's the most important position. It's not good. But like you look around the league at some of the contracts that are signed. It's just like, imagine this guy and this contract was in Toronto. It would just be like... And yet you never hear anything about those GMs. But anyway, that's Toronto. I get it. (laughs) 
Bonnie says, has there ever been a game where both teams are trying to lose? Like imagine if the Leafs-Bruins game at the end of the regular season is such that whoever loses gets Carolina and whoever wins gets Tampa. Assuming both the Leafs and the Bruins would prefer Carolina to Tampa, are they both going to try and lose that game? Well, what do you think of this, James? Like one of the ideas that's been talked about in the NBA is letting the top seeds pick their opponent. So yeah. that would require, obviously, a conference format. So that would be, so Florida is the number one seed right now. They would get to choose who they want to play in the first round. So I would think, based on the way the everything looks, they'd probably still pick Washington, right? Mm-hmm. And then Carolina would have a choice of the Rangers, Penguins, Lightning, Leafs, or Bruins. Shit. Not really any like easy well, ones, so they'd probably pick the Rangers. The fun thing about think. that is it adds like a layer of this team wanted to yes. face this team and like, you know, they, oh, yes. they disrespected them or I, I like it. I don't know why the leagues don't like it. I mean, it, the, I think you should make the regular season mean more by giving an advantage to give that team their choice of opponent, give them, you know, home ice, you know, make it make it mean more because in this format, we, you know, winning the Atlantic or whatever or, or getting second in the Atlantic, like what does it mean? Hardly anything. You get one extra home game. Congrats. Thanks. I guess they wouldn't get to play the Rangers because the Rangers are the third seed in this scenario. But anyway, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. The fact that that's all you get is one extra home game and you get to start at home. Doesn't make sense. All right, here we go. Daniel says, uh, with two goalies playing historically poorly for for months. Historically poorly. Is it well, historically poorly? I think I it's historical checked. for those two goalies. I think I think that's what he oh, means. I think that's what okay. he means. Like they're they're playing their, they're playing their worst hockey of their careers, basically. Yes. At the same time. I mean, maybe not of, of Jack Campbell's career given he there was at one point in the AHL he was struggling more than that. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. They're playing historically poorly for their in recent NHL history. How much of that is on the goalie coach or on pro scouting? Well, I mean, the Mrazek one is going to come down to who knows how the Leafs decided on Mrazek and paying him that much and giving him the term. My guess is that the analytics team really liked him because he's, I've, I've said this on the show before. I probably don't even need to say it again. So, but yeah, I mean, some teams in, have in their pro scouting department have like a, a goalie person who knows goalies and, and knows who they think is good. I just remember talking to you about Mrazic James, and that's what you told me, that, like, the analytics are pretty good on him. And yeah. my thought was, like, I've seen this guy's career. Like, this guy's been all over the place and never... I kind of thought he would just been, be a guy. Like, worst case scenario, he'll give you, like, a 900, 905 save percentage. And, like, if he's not good, then so, what? you know, you just play him, like, 25 games and who cares? But... Yeah, if you're drawing out, like, 10 scenarios for how this could go, this was the worst. Yeah. By far. Yeah. Well, because he hasn't done this before. He hasn't had another season where he bombed out of the... Like, he hasn't been waved through the league before. Yeah, this is bombed out of the league. All right. Now that the dust has settled, has it? I don't know, Chris. I don't know if the dust has settled yet. Which first-round opponent do the Leafs stack up best and worst against Tampa, Florida, Boston? I guess the dust has settled in terms of them making additions. Um, so if you had a draft and you had to pick one of these teams to play, who would you pick? I, th I think I would not take Tampa. I would take one of the other it's, two. It's funny. I think I would take Tampa. You pick them first? Well, I guess like style of play, yeah. the Leafs have always played well against they them. They match up well with them for some reason. Now, obviously, the, the big problem with that is like the goalie is the best in the world. That's, and, like, uh, that's what a... I was going to say is that I, I just see that series being Vasilevsky's. 
just shuts the Leafs down and it's over in six games. That would be my prediction for that series. So in that case, I'd take Florida. Yeah, it's funny how the Bruins still... <laughs> there's just they're they just do their thing like yeah. i i thought that they would come down i thought this would be the year they start to take a step back and then look that way for like a huge chunk of the year but but then you look at their, their roster and it's like boy like they're they're getting it done with i mean they're boston's a very well coached team yep i don't think that and it's like james it's it's kind of the same thing as them in pittsburgh like they just seem to have they seem to know the type of player that fits within fits well within their team and their coaching staff and everything like that. And they just keep bringing them in. Like Pittsburgh just always drafts these Brian Russ and like these Connor Sheary's and like, Buzz it seems, to, yeah. And like Boston hasn't had a perfect track record drafting. Obviously there was that one year where they had the three picks and I don't think any of them are really anything. Am I wrong about was that? It, I think he's DeBrusque one of, was one of the three, right? So, okay. Well, like he's like, he's I guess fine. he's come on a bit lately, but he's, yeah. But anyway, um, that's that's all I have what to if, say. What if that. Carolina was one of the four teams in the mix? Would you pick Carolina? I mean, they would. Carolina. I'd pick Carolina. You'd pick Carolina? Yeah. yeah. That's a, yeah. Good, I mean, that's like, a good team. It, the Anderson thing is still a question. Right. Like, you Regular right. season, whatever. And also, this, the team. Well, the style I could see team. Anderson in, in the fishbowl and facing Toronto. I could see that not really working out great for him. Yes. All right. Renee says... Assuming we get average goaltending down the stretch and get into the first round. Oh, is the, what is this the exact same question? <laughs> this question says, assuming we have good goaltending, how do they stack up against the other two? So, okay, let's add this extra layer to it. If the Leafs get good goaltending, who, which of the three teams do they stack up best against? I mean, it's kind of, I don't know. It's, it's, in, it's interesting. Like The answer should be Boston, right? They should be the weakest team of that. But just the way that they play... And the shadows of the past. Yeah. Like, I don't know. The ghosts. The ghosts. Yeah, like the, that's a, that's such an intimidating that. building to play in. I mean, that's I, I'm that's probably I think that's probably the most intimidating building I've been to. It's either that or uh New York is pretty good when it yep. gets rolling. Yep. I'm just looking at some of the other ones. Philly, I guess, a little bit when it gets hot, but they're not. I don't good know if anymore. I've covered a playoff game in Philly before. I don't think I have. Washington that one year, but they, they played well in Washington. Anyway, yeah. I like this question. Ryan says, it feels like they're going to be an underdog in round one no matter what. Does that reduce the pressure on the management or does it make another first round loss mean a big roster shakeup or management change? We seem like we get this question every time is, are they going to fire everybody and all that? I mean, it's I, I don't think we know the answer to that. We need to see how things play out here. But do you think, do you, let me ask you this, Jonas. Do you think being an underdog could help the Leafs? psychologically and everything that but see i i, I kind of resist the underdog label it's like if they're an underdog it's like we've talked about it before it's like they're 52 to 48 like they're no, like marginal underdogs i think with the way the goaltending is that that has that gap has expanded over okay, the, la over the last that's over the last two months like i think if you would have said that in january i would have agreed with you but now i think they're an underdog good point fair point um so what's the question <laughs> it's a, my question to you is like do you think that being an underdog and not having the pressure of being the favorite do you think that that lessens the 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 heat turned up on, i mean i think the heat no. is it's 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 like a nine and a half out of ten no matter what right like, you know, no like, matter what yeah it mitigates if they lose to tampa and it's in game seven and they really push them to the limit and I, it's not the same as as being embarrassed True. against montreal like last year well, and here's the other thing to keep in mind. It's not like outside of 
Tampa or sorry, yeah, outside of Tampa, the goalie situations are like that. No. Unbelievable. Like in Boston, you'd probably be facing Swayman who has no postseason experience, but has been um, really good. Has been really good. Fine. Yeah. Totally plays for a really good defensive team. Uh, Bobrovsky is Bobrovsky. Um, right. Like, so, and this is one of the highest scoring teams. Yeah. I think I might pick Florida out of the three teams to face, uh, you know, Ekblad's hurt. I, that would be a great well, series and, too. Well, and like, look at their, their defense is not like, I guess they just added Chirot, but it's like their defense is not like, I don't know. Their second pair is like Forsling and Gudis, which is fine. Chris wants to know, do you think if Nyes was called up, would he be on the fourth line or could he play higher in the lineup? Like on the second line? It's, I mean, it's tough to project a guy who's a college player who's, he's so young still. He was just drafted and he was a second round pick. I think it would be a, a lot to ask him. I think it would be a lot to ask him even to play on the fourth line, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's a jump. Yeah, for sure it is. I mean, I'm trying to remember. I don't even think he was at training camp, was he? No, right? Because he's in, I don't think he was even at training camp. Like he would be totally new. Was he at training camp? I can't remember. God, that feels like so long ago. Well, he would have been in college, right? No, he. Yeah, no, we haven't. We haven't really seen him around the team yet. Uh, here's our old friend Bang Bang. Uh, Bang Bang sa- asks: By not adding a top six winger, is management effectively telling Nylander and Tavares to figure it out, or else? <laughs> he says, "I have to imagine if they don't get it together, at least one of them could be gone next year." Uh, is moving one or both of those guys the last card this management? group can play if things don't go well a lot of a lot of ifs and buts in there yeah i can see the train of thought i mean fans are frustrated with with those two just because it's been it's been a bit tough for them lately fair it's i i don't like getting ahead and talking about how they need to deconstruct the core before this season plays out like it's all theoretical right like you know it's the same thing you're saying you know is that one of the last cards this management group has to play? I mean, <laughs> probably they're gonna they're gonna substantially change things if they lose again. But I mean, they, they, you can only bet on the same group so many times. Yeah, I, I can just tell you they won't just trade guys to trade guys. Yeah, well, they're not they're not rebuilding. That's for sure. No. All righty. Do we have like forty two more? Or like. <laughs> No, I think we've been making some progress. The problem is I'm getting a lot of duplication here. So when you submit your question, you know, uh, Greg T says, what do you think Pierre Engvall's next contract looks like? Do you have a, do you have a weigh in on that? He's going to have arbitration rights. So that complicates it a little bit. I don't know. Do you offer him? So his last deal was two by one, two years, 1.25 each year. I don't know. Would you do? Three-year deal, two-year deal, one and a half or something? Yeah, I think that's I think that's probably about right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what he would get in arbitration. It's not like he has huge. I, I really like the way he's played this season. I mean, he's... I, I thought he would top out as a fourth liner if you would have asked me coming into the year, and he's been playing really well in the third line. So he makes that third line. That third line is not as good without him. And he just has fewer of the like brain cramps with the puck than he's had in, in previous years. So... He's a guy yeah. who continues to seem to just get a little bit better and a little bit better. He's so big. He's so fast. He's making smarter decisions with the puck. I mean, he's he's found money right now. So, yeah, I think if you can sign him for one or two years at one and a half, you do it. Well, and there were times, wasn't he on waivers? 
Was he ever on waivers? No. I'm trying to remember. No, they no, always... He could escape waivers, right? Well, they, didn't it come down to that someone got hurt and then he didn't have to go? Like, we were debating whether he was going to get waived or not, and then... It, yeah, and even at last training camp, it was like, there was a conversation, a legitimate conversation about him and Adam Brooks, and I always thought, you protect Engvall 10 times out of 10. Right. But it was like, a, it was a reasonable conversation just because Engvall had been so fringy and unreliable, and Brooks was kind of like a known product. Another another question we've got is, uh, you know, if the if the goaltending comes up short in the playoffs, what do they do next year in goal? I mean, it's again, it's pretty theoretical where they go. I mean, there's going to be a lot of questions about: Do you try and keep Campbell, or do you just go in a completely different direction? What do they do with Mrazek? Uh There's not, if I recall correctly, there's not a ton available UFA in goal, so that's going to be a it's going to be a big project for the management group in the offseason, I think. You can't... You know what I, I was thinking, James, the last couple of days? No long-term contracts for any goalies. Like, I, it, it just doesn't work out generally. You even think, like, Jordan Bennington signs that crazy long contract and, like, he's not the starter anymore. And, I mean, geez, look how many years he's got left, James. That's $6 million on the cap. He's got... Oh my God, this is the first year of a six-year deal. Yeah. Uh, Scott M. says, do you think Leafs management has accepted they stand a good chance of losing in the first round to either of the Florida teams? It would explain why they held on to their first round pick. What are their expectations for the team in the playoffs? Their expectations are they have a chance, a, a, a reasonable chance of beating both those teams. Their expectations are they've, they have a good team. They have some star players. If Jack Campbell can figure it out, they like their odds. You know, I don't think that them not trading their first round pick means that they don't feel like they're competitive. It just means they're not willing to punt the future every single year again and again and again. Yeah, especially, well, I thought it was interesting. I think they would have for the right player. I thought it was interesting, though, that they decided that they would prioritize their prospects. And I think that makes sense just where they're at. Like, you would rather have the people who are closer to being NHL players than the pick. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like so. Like if the choice is between trading your first or trading Nick Robertson or Well, as Matthew long as you Nyes, project those guys to be good NHL players. Yes, which is a important part of the conversation, obviously. All right. Scott T says, how are the Leafs ever going to get Muzzin off LTIR if everyone stays healthy, even if they send down Morazic and Lilgren and put Sandine on LTIR? It seems like they're $100,000 short. We'll be seeing the team play with fewer than 20 active players like they did earlier in the season. The cap situation is so tight when Muzzin comes back. It's really, really tight. And I haven't been able to figure it out down to the dollar how they're going to make that work. But as I was saying earlier on the show, they're probably going to have to play with just 6D. I could see them having to play a game short a player in order to use the emergency recall. It, it could get pretty dicey. And th now that's if Kasha comes back. Which it, it, it certainly feels like he's going to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm just looking, James. So there's going to be more think pieces written about how they've screwed up the cap situation and those kinds of well, things. Well, and couldn't they save a little bit by having Hutchinson instead of Shogren? That's not much, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's 25 grand, but if you run through on the the armchair GM feature in cap friendly and come up with the roster configuration. It looks like they're about a hundred thousand dollars short of being able to get under the cap. So we'll see if Pridham has something up his sleeve or if there's something that we're not seeing on cap friendly. 
But they're, they're, regardless, they're going to be really, really tight to the cap. And you can't waive Wayne Simmons and, and send them to the minors after the deadline. All righty. Boy, all the questions now are about the playoffs. I love it. You can really see that the focus has moved past acquisitions onto the what's next. Uh, Gene wants to know, do you know if they looked at bringing in James Reimer? Seems like he wouldn't have cost the moon. They could have enticed someone to take Morazic with a B prospect. I don't think they could have. Uh, and come out ahead on the cap. Um, I don't, I, I'm pretty sure that the Leafs didn't really look at Reimer in free agency. And San Jose is happy with him. So I don't believe there were a lot of conversations there about James Reimer. Yeah, it's the Morazic thing, right? I would, I would have taken... I mean, if you do that flip, that was a flip that made sense at the time. But, like, why is San Jose doing that? I don't think they are. You know, I think San Jose wants to, you know, they've got some older players there. They're not, they, they would like to make a step forward next year. Whether that's realistic or not, I don't know. But, and, and Reimers had a pretty decent season, has a decent contract. And they, you know, when I saw a Sharks fan responded uh, to that suggestion on social media at one point. He's like, we want to keep Reimer. We've already been through the Martin Jones experience for like, like they lost a bunch of years to bad goaltending. They know what it's like. Well, and speaking of teams with bad contracts, James. Yeah, I know. I know. There's some teams that it feels like in the NHL, they're just going to be in the wilderness for like four years while they wait out these contracts. I mean, we have teams now like Minnesota, like buying out. They're going to have these huge, like what's their cap penalty next year? 13 million or something like that? Yeah. Something crazy it's like that. wild. And you look at Dallas and like, are they going to end up in that situation at some point? And it's tough. San Jose, James, has Couture signed until 2027 at $8 million. They have Carlson signed until 2027 at 11 and a half. Brent Burns is signed until 2025 at 8 million. And Mark Edward Velasic is signed until 2026 at 7 million. It's just and mad. then obviously they it's just madness. signed Timo Meyer. It's madness. Oh my God. And they, and they have the Martin Jones buyout on the books until 2027. Like how are they going to be competitive in the next five years? <laughs> I don't know. <sighs> All right, James, one more. Good one. <laughs> let's end. Let's end on this one. Adam K wants to know: Is it just my confirmation bias, or the Leafs actually cursed? I can't help but believe it's true. There's too much evidence. I could go all the way back to 1967, but here are a few examples, and it goes on and on and on. It says they finally win the lottery. They get a core of young superstars, you know, and they pay them a lot of money. But it's okay because the salary cap's projected to be 100 million dollars around the midpoint of the contracts. And then, of course, we know what happened with the cap and everything that happened in the world. I, I, I Jonas, you're from here. I mean, you grew up around the team longer than I did. Like, did you ever yeah. did you ever buy into the Leafs can't or are just one of those cursed teams the way that everyone always used to talk about, you know, the Cubs and all that? Well, so I'm glad you brought that up because that was the narrative around the Cubs. That was the narrative around, I mean, I guess you could say the Blackhawks, the Red, Red Sox. Sox. Yeah. It's only it's only a, a curse idea until it's not, until it changes and then you win. And like the Red Sox have won like, I think they've won four World Series since that first one. The Cubs have kind of gotten into the shitter since they won in, I think, 17. Um, and the Blackhawks won three. So like, it's a curse until it's not. I, like the, the Milwaukee Bucks we're just known for being nothing forever. And then they win the championship last year. It, it just, it changes. So that's what I would say. Here's, it I is guess, a, it is a narrative until it's not. 
Yeah, I can see why fans are getting nervous though, right? Because it's you know it's been five straight first round losses. This year looks like it's shaping up to be a really tough series to win, and maybe it'll be the year when literally no one expects them to do it that they they, they win around and. You know, I think that the the fan expectations are going to be pretty low going into this playoffs. Not like, you know, last year it was expected they were just going to, they were going to go deep. And I think that that's part of what hurts so much is that losing in that, that first round when the expectations were high. This year, it's not going to be the same thing. I'll remind you, James, the goal is not to win a round. Yeah, I know. But I, I get the sense that some fans at this point would take that. Uh, I got one more for you. Alex G asks us quickly, uh, were the Leafs genuinely hoping... Mrazic got claimed or was the move about cap space? I think they had to have known he wasn't going to get claimed. The contract is too ugly. So uh, it was... I don't know that for sure. You think that... It's free. I mean, look at some of the goalies that have been trotted out. He is free. Not free, free. He ain't free. Look at that cap hit. Yeah, but like, he doesn't cost you an asset and he is... He's not this bad. I don't know, man. Do you know what I'm saying? Like Goalie goalie with an 8.84 save percentage is... It was Although, like a I month mean, ago that there were teams reportedly interested. Not team, teams. Look at, yeah, well, I mean. Look at the Devils goaltending this year. Look at like. If this is a lost season, know. we're going to be pointing back to those reports and like having to dig into them and figure out what was being offered. And because the if they if they could have moved them back then, they should have. Well, I thought that at the time, but yeah. All right. Thanks, James. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, everybody. We wasted so much time on muffins, but uh, I don't know. I, th- I think we're tired out. It's been a long grind to this point. So so the way the schedule works out uh, next week, they've got Florida on the Sunday, second half of a back-to-back. Then they're in Boston. That'll be fun. Uh, and then they play Winnipeg to close out the month of March. And then they have Philly on the road. So we'll see if, if by that point, Jack Campbell is back, if Jake Muzzin's back. Who knows what's going to happen in the next week, James? We got plenty to dissect. Indeed. And I would remind you, James, go to theathletic.com slash leaf report uh, if you haven't signed up. Obviously, there's tons of interesting stuff on there, trade deadline related, and obviously all the other sports too. So Yeah, we, we published 49 stories on Monday on trade deadline day, and there's a whole lot more there on the site today. So it's, you know, I've read lot of them and it's 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 if you're a hockey nerd man like the, the content we have is, is i love it it's the place to be and there's a story i forgot to mention this i was going to ask you on the new jerseys yeah at least we'll be wearing in that did you read uh, wednesday game against did, the devil no i haven't read it yet so it's uh down goes brown and sean gentilly making oh, funny so that's gonna making, be good making funny comments about the jersey so i actually i like the uh i like the black and blue one i think it looks i think it looks interesting i don't know I didn't. I wasn't in practice. I didn't see the full ensemble with like the the socks and pants and everything. But the jersey itself, I could see that looking good. Like if you're a fan wearing you're wearing jeans in that jersey, I think it looks good. I think I think it's so silly that the NHL doesn't have more jerseys allowed. Have you seen? Have you ever seen a reversible jersey before like this? No, I don't really like the yellow, but it's. I like the idea of you can reverse the jersey. I think it's cool you, looking. You got two different options there. That's kind of cool, and 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 your your buddy Bieber is, is all a big part of it. The Biebs, yes, guy. All right, James. We will talk next week. Goodbye.